Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. Welcome to this year's Tape Club. The theme for this year is family, relationships, getting to like the people you love, or getting along with the people you can't get along without, or getting to love the people you like. Whichever way we approach it, every relationship can use a little tune-up, can use a little fine-tuning, can use a little sprucing up, and every effort to improve the relationships in our lives and to create new relationships is certainly worth the effort. In relationships, we have many different types. And we have to be comfortable with a variety of roles. We have to be able to wear many hats in order to be successful at the varied relationships that make up life, that make up civilization. For example, there's a relationship in which you have to look up to someone. You have to take the secondary role and put the other person up on a pedestal. As, for example, parents or teachers. They must be on a pedestal, and we must get comfortable and get good at wearing that hat or playing that role of being the receiver, of being the recipient, rather than the controller or the giver or the master. For that relationship to thrive, we need a certain degree of humility, the ability to not only accept but be comfortable, actually enjoy being secondary. The humility is indispensable. Without the humility, this relationship certainly could not work. In our relationship with God, Needless to say, we need to have a certain amount of humility, which means not only recognizing and admitting that we are dependent on God and that we are helpless without God and that we are indebted to God for all that we have and for all that we've succeeded in, but it's not enough to admit it. That's not a relationship. That's simply honesty. So to confess Dependency is not the meat and the substance of a relationship. It's the enjoyment. It's, I love being second to you. I love being dependent on you. I want to be dependent on you. Because if, if I'm going to be dependent, I want it to be on you. So my dependencies, and everybody has them, my needs, I would wish, I would want for you to be the one to fulfill those needs. To claim to have no needs, to claim to have no dependencies at all, is not true and not human. In the same way with parents and with teachers, the parents and the teachers we have, those are the people we want to be dependent on. Those are the people we want to put up on a pedestal. Those are the people we feel comfortable worshiping. 
so to speak. And that's the talent necessary for that relationship. Then we have another hat we have to wear, and that is where we are in the responsible role, where we are the master, and the other party depends on us, as, for example, our children. Here, we have to take the leadership role, and we have to love it. We have to feel totally comfortable and pleased by that responsibility. And it is an awesome responsibility. So the desire to let things roll, to let children make their own decisions, to just watch as they develop and grow into whatever it is they're going to be, that's not a relationship. A relationship means you play the role, you act out the role that you are given in that particular interaction, in that particular relationship. And so you have to not only accept begrudgingly or with a sense of heaviness and duty the responsibilities for your children's development and for their character and for their morality, but you have to actually thrive on it. You have to wake up every morning and thank God for that responsibility. And then, of course, try your best to do what is right by the child. And sometimes that responsibility gets to be heavy and you need help and you have to turn to your parents or you have to turn to your teachers or you have to turn to a professional and find out what is the best way, what is the best thing, what is the right way to handle a crisis, to handle a problem that your child is, is facing and that you need to help them with. So sometimes you need to go to outside resources, do some research and you have to read up on and you have to find out what the right thing is. And that's when some people start to feel a little uncomfortable with the whole role, with the entire responsibility. Am I really good at this? Am I cut out for this? What do I know? No one ever taught me these values or these issues. And, and we become very discouraged. And of course, being responsible parents, we're going to continue. We're going to plow ahead. But the pleasure is gone, and we have to find ways of replacing, restoring the pleasure in parenting. And that's not the pleasure of watching your kid grow up or take his first steps or say his first words. It's the pleasure of parenting. It's the pleasure in the responsibility that comes with parenting. So now we've got two hats we have to wear. There's a third hat, which is, of course, equally essential, and that is the hat of a spouse, the relationship between husband and wife, where the pedestal is inappropriate and taking charge is inappropriate. There's a need for a third talent, and that third talent is the ability to devote yourself to another person's needs not out of humility, not because the other person is more important than you, and not out of a sense of responsibility because the other person is helpless without you, but as equals. And this demands a whole new set of talents, a whole new capability, because the general feeling is 
you're grown up, you're an adult, you're a responsible human being. Why do you need me to do this for you? You can do it yourself. Now, we don't say that to a child, obviously, because the child can't do it by himself. And we don't say that to our parents because they shouldn't do it by themselves. We should be doing it for them out of respect and honor and so on. But when it comes to a spouse, why do I have to make you happy when you're fully capable of making yourself happy? Why do I have to unburden your life? Why can't you handle your burdens? And not only do we resent sometimes, do we resent that responsibility, but we actually lose respect for the spouse, if I need to help you, if I need to do for you, if I need to worry about you, then I lose respect for you. What's wrong with you? So there's a, a third talent and a third hat that we need to wear when it comes to a relationship between husband and wife. Now, all of these relationships are basically of a form of morality, a form of godliness. We can't get away from the moral character of any relationship. And so besides tools and besides methodology and besides uh, practicality, a relationship needs a heavy dose of morality, of goodness. And that's why all relationships need to be drawing their strength and their energy and their enthusiasm from Torah, from godliness, from the source of goodness. And so without pointing fingers or putting blame or, or, or guilt, when a relationship isn't working, it's not merely a difficulty or a misunderstanding or a lack of communication skills. When a relationship is not working, whatever the relationship may be, there is some moral quality missing. There is some moral ingredient that is lacking because when the morality is there, the relationship works. It may be awkward, it may be clumsy, it may not be very articulate, but it works. It's only when the moral ingredient is missing that a relationship breaks down and simply does not work or actually becomes negative, more destructive than good. And so every mitzvah we do and the general lifestyle that we choose, if it emphasizes morality, if it emphasizes mitzvahs, if it emphasizes the service of God, that can only help the relationships that we have. We can't suddenly be moral when it comes to a spouse or suddenly be moral when it comes to honoring parents. And so learning, studying, appreciating a godly concept, understanding godly principle, simply enjoying a story about the morality of great leaders or of great people in our ancestry, in our history. This is all very important support stuff that makes all of life, and relationships are a big chunk of it, all of life more meaningful, more pleasant, and more productive. 
And so the purpose of this series of tapes is to examine the nature of relationships in general, the conditions of the various types of relationships in our lives, how they work, why they work, why they sometimes get entangled, and try to unravel some of that entanglement and see our way clearly towards healthier, more godly relationships. And if this helps our Yiddishkeit, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. Serving God is supposed to help us with our human relationships, and being good with our human relationships is supposed to give more meat and more substance to our relationship with God. And in that way, life becomes real. Life becomes true. Life becomes what it should be. And when life is what it should be, then our relationships can only be enhanced by it. When life is right, then the essential components of life benefit greatly. And the essential components of life are relationships. In the world of relationships, in the world of love and kindness, we sometimes forget that love is a personalized version of kindness. So where there is no kindness, obviously there can't be love. Kindness is a form of generosity, and it is an essential emotion, which means it's one of the ten attributes with which God creates the world. In fact, it's the first of the seven attributes that make up the seven days of creation. So sometimes it's not the love that counts, it's the kindness. The kindness can be more helpful, the kindness can be more steady, the kindness can be more useful, the kindness can be more important than the love. Also, sometimes relationships hurt. There are mitzvahs that sometimes hurt. God expects us to be godly even when the body resists. And of course, if the body is resisting, it, it hurts, it's uncomfortable, it's out of its element. It's being dragged into holiness against its will. But that's uh, sometimes the case that a mitzvah will hurt. And that's necessary because there's an aspect of the physical world, let's call it the most spiritual of the physical, that easily and readily, almost eagerly, surrenders to holiness. Then there are those parts of the physical world that are more indifferent and uh, need more encouragement to cooperate, to join with the holy, with the spiritual, and become godly. And then there's the bottom of the heap. There's that part of the physical world that will fight, that will resist anything godly. And when a mitzvah is introduced into that level of existence, it hurts. It causes a disturbance. It causes a discomfort. But by introducing the mitzvah there, in spite of the discomfort, we elevate and we bring godliness even to such a resistant, ungodly place. And that's essential, an indispensable part of fixing the world, raising the world, and bringing it closer to godliness. In each relationship, there is a particular individual tone 
All relationships are not the same. They may be equally important, equally essential to human existence, to civilization, but they are not the same in their style, they're not the same in their tone. Parents speaking to their children can either sound like parents or they can sound like teachers. They can sound like policemen. They can sound like just adults speaking to children. It doesn't work if you don't use the right tone. The correct tone makes all the difference in the world. Even if you're saying all the right things, but using the wrong tone, the message can fail, even backfire, and cause hard feelings rather than an improvement in the relationship. Parents need to sound like parents. A father needs to sound fatherly. A mother needs to sound motherly, not just grown-up, not just adult-like. And when we do that, then the tone, being the proper tone, will bring us forgiveness if we happen to be saying the wrong thing. So if the message is not exactly correct, but the tone is, we can get away with some stuff. It gives us some leeway and brings us forgiveness for our mistakes. In the opposite case, when we're saying the right things, but using the wrong tone, then even though we're saying the right thing and deserve credit for that, we're not going to get the credit from our children because they resent the tone and they react to the tone. Certainly younger children react more to your tone than to the content or to the substance of what you're saying. On the other hand, when we as adults are listening to our parents, we need to make an effort to find that tone in our parents' voice, to find the father in our father, find the mother in our mother, even if it's not coming across clearly. So it's a uh, two-way project. To our children, we have to make the effort to sound fatherly or motherly, and with our parents, we have to make the effort to dig out that parenting tone, the fatherly tone or the motherly tone, even if it wasn't made clear by our parents. And in that way, we can patch, we can fix, we can reconnect both to our parents and to the children whose parents we are. Marriage, family, home, no family, no marriage, no husband and wife can exist in a vacuum. It's a link in a chain. There were many marriages preceding ours, which made our existence possible, which brought us into existence, which is responsible for our birth. And when we get married, we add another chain, another link to that chain. So it can't exist in isolation. It can't exist by itself, for itself. It must exist as a continuation. And of course, the same is true into the future, that getting married means establishing the next generation, bringing the next generation into existence, giving birth to future generations. And that is the blessing that we give a bride and groom under the chuppah, that this should be an everlasting edifice, an everlasting construct. 
that this will go on forever. But go on forever doesn't mean only into the future, it means also into the past. And that's why souls of departed ancestors attend weddings. They come to the chuppah, three generations back, ten generations back, maybe even more. And that's because a wedding reaches not only into the future, but also into the past. It connects the past with the future. And so, as we prepare to become parents, we also need to reconnect with our own parents and be the bridge, become the bridge between our ancestors and our descendants. Now, bringing babies into the world is a very spiritual task. We are taught the mechanics. We're all very precocious in our knowledge of the facts of life. But those are really just the facts of physical existence. Those are not really the facts of life. Life is a mysterious thing. Life is a spiritual thing. Life has to do more with soul than with body. And giving birth to a baby or giving birth to a creature that is 99% soul and only 1% body. So you're producing a life, not a body. And of course, in producing life, you have to know what you're doing. You have to use your life to produce life. So it is not a mechanical event at all. And the subtleties that are necessary, that are helpful, that are constructive in the creation of a child have not been taught, have not been shared. I don't know exactly why, but such is the case. It is not common knowledge. How do we create a baby? How do you create a living, thinking, and feeling creature? How do you create a person, a human being, who is going to feel permanently, eternally connected to you because you are the parent? How do we create that family bond? We take it for granted, of course, and yet we see in recent times that it can't be taken for granted. There are families who have no familial feelings. There are mothers without maternal instincts. There are children who feel no, no connection, no responsibility, no bond, no special affection to their own parents. So it can't be taken for granted. How do we create a being that is going to serve God, that is going to feel a sense of purpose, that is going to want to amount to something and accomplish something in the world other than selfish gain? How do we create that kind of creature? How do we create a creature that can cry and hurt over other people's problems? How do we create beings who will give away their last slice of bread to the more unfortunate or, or just equally unfortunate? How do we create people who can put other people before themselves? If only their parents, if only their spouses, if only their children. But the ability to feel for others, this is not a mechanical creation. How is that done? How do we create children who will benefit 
the world around them, who will be a blessing to the world rather than a drain of resources. For this, we have to use the best and the greatest of our own abilities, of our own existence. It can't be done haphazardly. It can't be done half-heartedly. It certainly can't be done recklessly. And for this, we have instruction. For this, we have laws of marriage, laws of intimacy, laws of making babies. And that might even be our secret, our great historical secret. How did the Jewish people create children who could survive almost anything and remain not only alive, but kind? How do we create people who thrive in the most positive and the most moral and the most godly ways, in spite of all of the historic suffering and persecution and poverty, the secret might lie in the way that we make babies. And this alone, or for this alone, all the hours of study might be worthwhile just to know how to invite a baby into this world in the most positive and the most constructive and the most helpful way, giving our children a foundation that cannot be destroyed and an enthusiasm that will give them a head start on life so that their existence is not merely one of being, but one of true living, to be fully alive, to radiate life, to create an aura, a presence, to create a, a field of life around them for their children, for their immediate families, and for anyone who comes in contact with them. As the expression is, everyone will point to the children and say, these are children blessed by God. Here's what we're doing in this series. It's a long journey, but a pleasant one and an enlightening one. Join us on this journey and enjoy, because knowing is a blessing, knowledge is power, and whatever we learn, it's good to know.